Good morning. It's a joy to be here. Uh, my wife, Sydney, and I are grateful for the many ways that we've been blessed by you here at First Presbyterian over the years. I wish Sydney were with me this morning, but she is back in Starkville, Mississippi, where we live. We still have a 17-year-old daughter at home, and uh, so perhaps next time Sydney will be able to join me. But uh, my thanks to Chip and to the session for inviting me to preach here this Sunday. Y'all, I'm told, are in the midst of a Christ and Culture series during the month of January, and you've heard messages regarding extending mercy to the penitent. Uh, You've heard a sermon on speech. Today, I would like to talk about Christian gratitude, and we will see uh, Christian gratitude expressed in the text in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 and following. So I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. There's also a Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, But uh, we're in Luke chapter 17. Uh, The context is Jesus and his disciples are traveling from one village and city to another, and Jesus is teaching. Moreover, Jesus is making his final route to Jerusalem, where he will be put to death on the cross and bear our sins in his body. Uh, We'll go verses 11 through 19. I'll read a couple of verses at a time and then comment on them. First, verses 11 and 12. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. At this point, Jesus and his disciples are about 50 miles north of Jerusalem, They're on the border between Galilee and Samaria. And they're they're on the point of entering a town. And they're met by these ten leprous men. Uh, We would know that Jesus is about to enter the town because the leprous were not allowed into the town. They were not allowed into the community. Uh, Leprosy was a very difficult disease uh, then, as is now still in some parts of the world. Leprosy was a name given to a variety of diseases at that time, uh, some of the worst being disfiguring and even fatal. But these men stand at a distance because it was in the Old Testament law that lepers were compelled to keep their distance from those who were well. Those who suffered from leprosy were forbidden to approach other people. I saw Ben-Hur when I was young, and the two things I remember the best are the, 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 the pictures with the people saying, unclean, unclean, and the chariot races. Well, indeed, the leper was required to say unclean when being approached by someone who was well. And we read about this in Leviticus chapter 13. Let me read you a few verses from that chapter. The priest shall examine him, and if the disease swelling is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So if a person had a bad infection, the person was required to go to the priest. 
And the priest would inspect the infected skin, and if need be, the priest would pronounce the person as unclean. And once pronounced unclean, it was a very lonely life. They largely lived outside the relationships of their family, outside the relationships of their former friends, outside the religious life of the country. They had no way of earning a living. They depended on charity. And so here we have ten leprous men standing at a distance from Jesus. Verse 13. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Uh, The works of Jesus had spread. Uh, They heard that Jesus had the power to heal and perform mighty acts. And so they call to him, Jesus, Master. And again, obedient to the law, they don't approach him. They remain at a distance calling to him. What they specifically ask for is mercy. Can you think of anyone better to ask mercy from than Jesus? There is no one, and they ask for mercy. And in the context here, it's that they want mercy regarding their disease. The first part of verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Jesus responded to them, and his response is noteworthy and is strategic in this passage. But I'd first like to begin by contrasting a former encounter Jesus had with a leprous man with this one. In Luke chapter 5, a leprous man comes upon Jesus and begs for healing. And in that particular passage in Luke 5, Jesus touches the man. Jesus says, be clean. The leprosy immediately left the man. And then Jesus told him, go show yourself to the priests. But in this passage, Jesus did not draw near to them. Jesus did not touch them. Jesus did not say, be clean. But instead, while they were still standing there leprous, he told them, go show yourself to the priests. Now, what is all this about? Well, just as priests were the ones to inspect diseased persons and pronounce a diseased person with leprosy unclean, the priests were also the ones who inspected the person who had been healed. The priests were those who would pronounce those who had been unclean, but now healed. The priests were the, the, priests were the ones who pronounced them clean. And if indeed the person had been healed, the priest was in the, uh, in the moment of pronouncing them clean was to perform a sacrifice. And this sacrifice is very meaningful. We'll come back to it, but I want to read to you that sacrifice now because we see in it the foreshadowing of our own salvation. I'm reading from Leviticus chapter 14, verse 2 and following. This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds and an earthenware vessel over fresh water. 
And he shall take the live bird with the cedarwood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. After that, he may come into the camp. So while they are standing at a distance, leprous, Jesus tells them, go show yourself to the priests. One would not normally set out, set out to go see a priest unless one were cured. One would not normally appear before a priest unless one were cured. Otherwise, it would seem like a useless errand and maybe even an offense. But Jesus' order is implicitly a promise of healing. Well, what would they think of Jesus' command? How would they respond? Jesus was putting their faith to the test by asking these men to respond as if they had been cleansed and healed, cured. Verse 14, the middle portion. And as they were going, they were cleansed. How did these men respond? They obeyed, apparently expecting, hoping for, longing for healing, and they received it. And Jesus here shows his power over the normal course of nature. He shows his power over the natural processes of this world. He shows his credentials as the Son of God by working this miracle. And in this case, Jesus' miracle is a restoration of their bodies to healthy and normal. Imagine what it was like. They are going. These are people who've been isolated people whose skin and tissue have been numb, have been diseased, have even, in some cases, rotted with infection. And imagine the moment when they realize that there is vigor and health given to them. That the the numbness, the pain, the dead tissue, and all would be a thing of the past. And moreover, not only would they experience the physical healing they would experience being returned to the society. They would be removed from their social isolation. They would be removed from exclusion to the community. They could return to their families and friends and to corporate worship. Verses 15 and 16. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet and giving, th- and giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. So ten are on their way. Ten are cleansed. Nine from this group, when they are healed, press on to the priest to be pronounced clean. But one reverses course. Seeing the priest could wait long enough. Being restored to the community could wait long enough to return briefly to Jesus. And as he returns, it says he is glorifying God with a loud voice. 
The Greek here is helpful and interesting. The participle glorifying is from the word doxazon, from which we get the word doxology. And so this man is doxologizing Jesus as he, he is giving glory to Jesus as he, to, the, to God as he approaches Jesus. But also you see the word loud here. He's glorifying God with a loud voice. The Greek word being megalist. And you hear that word mega. We use mega, don't we? Like megaton, megabyte, mega burger. We use mega to be big and loud and grand. And that's what this man is doing. He is, he is doxologizing God in a mega voice, in a loud voice as he returns to Jesus. And he falls on his face. He prostrates himself before Jesus, giving thanks to Jesus, publicly thanking Jesus. He's truly grateful for Jesus. And he recognizes Jesus as an instrument that God has used to make him well. And Luke adds here, and he was a Samaritan. Now, what was a Samaritan? The Samaritans were made up of those who had been part of the tribes in the north, but in the 8th century B.C., the Assyrians came in, carted many of them off, left many of them there, imported many pagan peoples into the land, and so that you had Jews and Gentiles over the centuries who were marrying and having children. And so for the Jews in the south who still were true Jews, true bloods, they saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. There were... There was enmity between the Samaritans in the north and the Jews in Judea. The true Jews to the south had nothing to do with them, frequently quarreled with them, and vice versa. At one point in, the, in, uh, in Luke, I believe it is, Jesus is sending his disciples into a Samaritan town to make accommodations for them, but when they find out that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, they won't let him stay there. And in John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman, asks her for her drink, and the woman says, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? And John writes, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So, of this group of ten lepers, there was at least one Samaritan. And the fact that they are with one another here just shows the horrors of the disease, that the normal, normal social distinctions had fallen away. Now verses 17 and 18. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? We see Jesus' omniscience. He knows all ten have been cleansed. But Jesus' words make clear that thanksgiving was properly expected from all ten. And he's saying, where are the other nine? All the lepers had come to Jesus in desperate condition and longing. He had cured all of them. The nine never came back. So often we're like that, right? We can be ungrateful to parents, ungrateful to one another, and we can be ungrateful to God. We can be in the crush of things. We pray with intensity. God remembers us. God shows favor, removes the crush. And sometimes we let time pass, not returning to God, doxologizing him, thanking him for what he's done. The nine here could describe us well. Sometimes we have faith in Jesus. We obey his commands. But we can fail in gratitude. A very common sin. 
For good reason, Psalm 103, verse 2 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Well, Jesus expresses disappointment with the nine. Apparently, in their newfound happiness, they did not spare a thought for its source. But notice that word doxology again. Jesus said, Was no one found who returned to give doxan, to give doxology, to give glory and thanks to God for what he had done. Now think how much all the ten had in common. All ten had this terrible disease. All were determined to do something about it. All had heard that Jesus had the power to heal. They all appealed to him, calling him master. All were obedient to his command to go show themselves to the priests. But there was a significant difference with this one, this one foreigner. And the fact that he was a Samaritan, that he was a foreigner, makes it all the, surpri- all the more surprising. He is the last one you would think of this group who would turn around and give thanks to this Jewish healer, Jesus, the Samaritan. The mixed race looked down upon Samaritan, the racial half-breed. They were separate from the Jewish church. They were not allowed in the court of the temple that belonged to the Jews. They would be allowed only in the court of the Gentiles. But he was the first and only one to return. A man who did not belong to the chosen people in terms of being a full Jew. Behavior that is expected most in those who should know better is sometimes absent. And behavior that pleases God is sometimes found in those from whom you don't necessarily expected. Let's press on. Verse 19, and he, that is Jesus, said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. The man is still at Jesus' feet. Jesus says, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, the, the, um, the, the Greek verb to make well is also the same verb to be used to save. And so it could be translated, stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. And so this is signifying something. This man's physical cure is coupled with a moral cure. This seems to be signifying that this man received something in addition as he came back, maybe something that the other nine had not. I don't know the eternal spiritual condition of the other nine. They heard Jesus' command. They obeyed believing. I hope that they went to heaven when they eventually died. But this man had a full restoration to God. His physical cure was coupled with a moral cure. Now, I'd like to make just a few applications from what we've read here. Dear friends, the first application is this. You and I are much like the Old Testament leper. We were unclean in our sin. And as the priest pronounced the diseased person unclean, so the law of God, which is righteous and holy, pronounced us unclean. And in shame, we wandered apart from the community of God. But we were made well 
through Jesus. We were made clean through Jesus, even righteous in God's sight through Jesus. And do you see how the ceremony that the priest would perform with the two birds when he was pronouncing the person made well, when he was pronouncing him clean, do you see how that foreshadows our salvation? The priest would leave the temple and go outside the camp to meet the unclean person. Similarly, Jesus left the true temple, the holy place in the heavens, to come to earth. As we read this morning from Second Philippians, Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, being made in the likeness of man. He came outside the camp to meet with the unclean. And then the priest commanded... When the person was clean, the priest commanded that one of the two birds be killed over an earthen vessel filled with water. And then the live bird was to be dipped in that bloody water and the person was to be pronounced clean. And in the same way, the life of Jesus was taken on the cross and his blood dripped But those who are sprinkled by the blood of Christ have all their sins forgiven and are pronounced clean, righteous before God. And then the living bird that is dipped in this blood is set free where it can go live in the open field. And likewise, you and I have been set free from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin, have been adopted into the family of God and are called sons and daughters of the Most High. We are like the live bird, dipped in the blood of the bird that was killed, and we are free as a bird. Secondly, in application, dear friends, how are we going to respond to that. Are we going to respond like the nine or respond as the one? The nine did a number of things right. They looked to Jesus. They called him master. They believed he had the power to heal. They obeyed his command, but they lacked gratitude. May we be like this Samaritan, doxologizing God with a loud voice, not anything that smacks of just being obligatory or dispassionate duty, but going before the Lord with genuine thanks and a loud voice going to the one who loved us first. Let me speak to any who are here today, who up until today have not known forgiveness and new life. In Christ, have not known the Savior Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus is advancing and building his church with people of all backgrounds and nationalities, not just of Jews, but of Gentiles, all races, tribes, nations, and languages. Maybe there's some international students here today. The Samaritan was almost certainly less schooled in the Scriptures than the Jews. The Samaritan had received less spiritual light throughout his life than had the Jews, but when he met Jesus, he ran enthusiastically with what he came to know. He made good on it. Perhaps you see yourself standing at a distance from Jesus. Perhaps you feel the weight and the filth of your uncleanness knowing that you've offended God with your sin. Dear friend, Jesus says, 
the one who comes to me I shall certainly not cast out. In fact, he implores those who listen, come to me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't worry if you didn't have the best spiritual upbringing, neither did the Samaritan. Don't be timid if you think you're very unclean. So was the Samaritan. Jesus can make you clean. Do not let anything hold you back. And may the loudest praise come from those from whom we may least expect it. Indeed, Jesus would continue on this journey to Jerusalem. He would bear our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I'll close with uh, something that a, a pastor friend of mine told me. I was privileged to work in North Carolina alongside of a pastor by the name of Gene Craven. He's a PCA pastor. He's a pastor in our denomination. He's in his 80s now. He had been a missionary to Taiwan in the 50s and in the 60s. And one of the places he preached was a leper colony in Taiwan. He said the missionaries especially reached out <clears throat> to the leper colonies. In fact, he said the largest Presbyterian church in that presbytery, in that, that region, was the leper, the leprous church. He said the colony had 1,600 patients, and the church there had 800 church members from the leper colony. But Jesus, I mean, not Jesus, Gene told me, I do think highly of Gene, but there's no one like Jesus. Gene told me that he spoke with one of the older missionaries who had served on the mainland, mainland China. And she told the story of sitting beside the bed of a woman who was dying. And the woman had leprosy. And the dying lady told the missionary this. I am so thankful that I had leprosy. If I hadn't had leprosy, I probably would not have heard about Jesus. I wouldn't know that he loves me and that I can go to heaven. Jesus said, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Dear friends, you and I have been made clean by the blood of Jesus. May gratitude be a centerpiece of our Christian walk. We're going to respond now in singing and doxologizing the Lord in a loud voice. We will be singing uh, the old 100th, all people that on earth do dwell. Please stand.